Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name that way is Hayden Winks. And today, Hayden, we got through week one. We learned a lot with most teams. Some teams I say, let's forget what happened and what they put in the field. We have a pretty good idea of these teams' vision, and I can't wait to already be here. It's amazing for this awesome week two slate. How you doing, buddy? It's been a long day. I've been at the airport all day and all of a sudden Salt Lake City, never been in this area, scrambled to get this connection. I realized this bed frame is the biggest one in all of America that's behind me. So if you're watching on YouTube, we'll get back to the LED lights. I promise you this will be the last time I'm coming live from a hotel room this season. Yeah. Hayden, maybe at our last employer, we wouldn't have been able to do the first two shows and the first two weekends on the road. Uh, impressive, impressive stuff by you. And who knows, you might get the best sleep of your life in that bed and, and want to go buy one and, and stick it in your California apartment. Who knows? It is bigger than my apartment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a boat. Actually, yeah. it's a boat that is behind you. Um, all right. Once again, game by game preview. I absolutely love these shows each and every week after watching all the games, after compiling all the stats, Hayden is going to bring up his fantasy blueprint, which is up on under blog. There it is. Boom. But first, we start off in the 1 o'clock window. It is the New Orleans Saints on the road against the Carolina Panthers. Saints, three-and-a-half-point favorites. Total of 44-and-a-half. Hayden, the Saints were absolutely dominant against the Green Bay Packers. A new era for Sean Payton for this offense. We saw 17 touches for Alvin Kamara in the first half when this game was somewhat close. What was your biggest takeaway in a game that just got loose in the second half? It's officially promo code Alvin season. He had the second most carries of his career at 20. They're not going to use Tony Jones like they were using Latavius Murray the last couple seasons. And I think that you just saw with like Marquez Callaway busting how desperate the Saints are for just skill talent. I think that Alvin Kamara is going to be flirting with Christian McCaffrey, possibly in a tier of their own at the very top of fantasy this year. So Alvin Kamara was just absolutely ridiculous, just what his usage and what his usage could be when games get closer like this one should be. What stood out to me was the the Saints' offensive line, and it's a unit that was incredible. I mean, absolutely incredible. They have great front five blockers, and we know during Jameis's time with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers – any sense of disruption, Jameis might end up with his head cut off and like twirling in circles and throwing the ball 12 yards in the air and turning it over. That wasn't the case here in week one against the Packers, who has like a lot of individual pieces. Now we're getting to week two. And Hayden, their starting center, Eric McCoy, is going to be out of this contest. And if the Carolina Panthers defense, one that flew around the field, Brian Burns, Hassan Reddick, Derek Brown, Shaq Thompson looping in on blitzes, Jeremy Chin making plays near the line of scrimmage and away from it, plus J.C. Horn and J- Dante Jackson making 
tackles, you know, short and deep and breaking up passes. I, this Panthers unit has a great chance of finishing top 10 in the NFL as we go along and a better unit than what the Saints faced last week. I'm not saying like Sean Payton isn't ready for this. Jameis Winston isn't ready for this. Both are professionals. But Hayden, I kind of think this is a different animal than the one that they faced last week. And one where there's a lot of manufactured touches to Alvin. But then we had like other, you know, like tertiary pieces almost like Jawan Johnson, in the red zone. Marcus Callaway gets like what? One target when people draft in the top 36. I feel like something else has to happen here in order for them to overcome the Panthers in week two. I'm more optimistic with Marquez Callaway just because he's not going to be facing Jair Alexander. That game got way out of control immediately, so you didn't see the Saints pass the ball that often. So I think that Marquez Callaway probably shouldn't be in your flex, but I wouldn't go out and drop him immediately unless you're in pretty shallow leagues. So I think he's going to be the guy eventually to emerge, especially with Traquan Smith on injured reserve. So I think that Juwan uh, Johnson and and Adam Troutman, they're kind of stealing snaps and targets away from each other. And I wouldn't go chasing either one of those. I guess it's just going to be promo code Alvin along with, I think, eventually Marquez Callaway. Also, this incredible tweet from Paul Himbakides, uh, who uh, points out that Jameis Winston had a touchdown pass. I believe it was to Deontay Harris that traveled over 50 yards in the air. Drubers attempted over 9,400 during his time with the Saints and never had an air yards touchdown pass traveled 50-plus yards. I think that's just an element, Hayden, of what Jameis brings to the table that Drew Brees didn't. I also do want to bring up, though, that there's like plenty of COVID situations along the Saints coaching staff. I think only four are like fully cleared at this time, one being Sean Payton. And Hayden, dare I say it, we didn't set it up at the top of the show. We have one underdog pick of the weekend. We have one Benji pick. A player is going to go over 100. I'm opening with the Panthers as my underdog to cover this three and a half points here at home. I mean... Their offense, we've talked about it. It's a bit too big to fail. Like I, Sam Darnold did some good things in week one. He did some really bad things in week one. That red zone series, which the Panthers really struggled in last year, he missed Ian Thomas on a seam pass that was wide open, and he fumbles the fourth down attempt. There's still room for this team to grow, and Robbie Anderson's usage wasn't exactly what we had hoped for. Um, I think the Saints defense is well coached, but I really believe, as weird as this is already saying in week two, how complete this Panthers unit is and where their strengths might match up with the weaknesses of New Orleans. And the the big thing is this is not the Saints, like the fully at strength Saints. We have suspensions. We have injuries. Marshawn Lattimore is on the the injury report. You have all the COVID stuff going along. And then the the Saints haven't even been practicing at their home facilities either. So, yeah, this is a classic upset alert, especially if the Panthers, like you're saying, their defense does make this year two jump because we have to remember – this unit was basically all rookies last year and all second-year players. So now you're getting them to get more familiar with the new coaching staff from last season, and they have the athletes. It was just a matter of time before the Panthers went from like a, the 25th-ranked defense up to like flirting with like the top 10. Yeah, we talked about it on our, our instant reaction show, which you can c- catch us after the 4 o'clock window ends on Sundays, that they're just loaded with aggressive, athletic, defensive pieces. I I am a little curious about Robbie Anderson's role this year and how much it agrees with what he did last year when he had like the lowest eight out of his career. It was around 10 after being around 16, the rest of his other four years in the league, because we got easy receptions 
And we want those easy receptions for him. We want like intermediate and short receptions. And I think when they brought in Sam Darnold, final point here, they wanted to throw deep more. DJ Moore is really good. Terrace Marshall got a bit of a deep work, but maybe the guy that they feel can stretch defenses more than anyone else is Robbie Anderson, but that might make him a little more high variance than the type of receiver we saw last year. I totally agree. If you look back at just his dot with the Jets, it was much higher than it was last year with the Panthers, and obviously that's going back to the Sam Darnold day. So I wouldn't be that surprised if he's more volatile, but that's going to lead to some big weeks, even though that there's going to be um, definitely some four weeks. I think that DJ Moore is comfortably the number one here, and then uh, Robbie Anderson probably going to be a more volatile wide receiver three flex option. Now over to the Cincinnati Bengals against the Chicago Bears. Bears, despite that weird week one performance that they had, Andy Dalton sticking out there for most plays. They are two and a half point favorites here against the Cincinnati Bengals. Hayden, 45 total. Uh, Let's start with the Bengals. I think that's the more fun conversation to have. So why wouldn't we start there? I was a bit skeptical. I think while a lot of people were of Joe Burrow heading into the season, you know, knee injuries, offseason reports, not seeing much of him in preseason games. He looks so good, Hayden. I mean, he was crisp. He was efficient. Call me a boomer, but I don't really care about like that neutral pass rate stuff that's being thrown around right now because I feel like the Bengals had a plan. They executed on that. And that's so much more than we can say about the Cincinnati organization and franchise than the last five, seven years. Devin, it was their plan. I think that their plan is to hide Joe Burrow initially, win with efficiency, let him kind of rebound a little bit. And even when he was getting dropped back, he was getting pressured. The Bengals offensive line, I thought was still pretty bad. So I I will not be surprised if this neutral pass rate kind of holds up for a couple more weeks, maybe through September before the Bengals become more of the pass heavy Bengals. And and that uh, neutral uh, pass rate stat was the Bengals were dead last in neutral pass rate in week one after being top five last year with Joe Burrow. And I think that the reason why is it's Joe Mixon time. I mean, this guy was awesome in week one. He actually led all uh, running backs in missed tackles forced. He had, uh, I believe the wider or RB three fantasy usage and they're paying him like a, like a top five back. So I think that you're going to get Joe Mixon as a top five fringe type of fantasy running back this season, just because I think that the Bengals are going to use this more balanced offense, which I think will ultimately help Joe Burrow's career trajectory. Going back to that play, that series with about like 111 left on the clock, and we have a whole video down on the YouTube channel on Joe Mixon and what the Bengals put out there. But quickly, like this team is built through skill position talent. T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, and Joe Burrow. And in so many situations... And this is why Hayden, I don't fully agree with this nervousness that Zach Taylor is now like cowering in a corner and he's not willing to like be aggressive because without any timeouts in his pocket, he allowed Joe Burrow to command that offense and they scored a touchdown and forced in five plays, you know? And I just think as we go along, as he shows his health, as that offensive line allows him to, to gain more trust in them, we're going to see that pass rate climb, you know? And in the meantime, we're going to see 20 touches from Joe Mixon. He's going to look great. Yeah. Joe's a, a massive winner. I think that the Gen Zers, I mean, maybe the boomers aren't mad about this, but I think that the Gen Zers are mad that T. Higgins and Jamar Chase were the wide receiver 38 and wide receiver 39 in fantasy usage. And Tyler Boyd is like wide receiver 82. Like that's just not going to cut it. Like the Bengals have to pass the ball more 
if Tyler Boyd is going to be a wide receiver three flex option, if it's going to be the balanced offense and he's just a low a dot slot receiver, that is not going to cut it for Tyler Boyd. So I, I'm legitimately concerned for his outlook, especially because Jamar Chase did not look like a total knucklehead out there. He was catching the ball. He looked confident. So that would be bad news for Tyler Boyd. So I think that the Gen Zers deserve to be a little, a little skeptical here. That was a pretty funny dip now that we look back on it, like wide receiver 20 down to wide receiver 27. Felt really good towards the end of the offseason for drafting Jamar Chase. Let's jump on over to the Chicago Bears. And Hayden, I watched that entire game with the Bears and the Rams. Um, What is there to say? You know, like other than this team is just so boring until Justin Fields is out there. Like look at this passing chart. From Andy Dalton, it was even worse for Allen Robinson, who was not targeted a single time over 10 yards. The only time that Andy Dalton threw a pass over 15 yards, it was an interception. Hayden, this is a very conservative offense with a bad offensive line that their area to win now is running the ball with Dave Montgomery, who I actually think is not getting enough respect in our bubble at the moment. He looks absolutely incredible. But this is like, I think, a Chicago team that is trying to win with the style that they won three years ago, and their defense just isn't nearly up to snuff as it was in the past. The defense, I believe, was PFF's worst defense in week one, and that's kind of what we saw on Sunday Night Football when when the Rams were going bombs away. And I think that it's a bad formula with Andy Dalton right now because the Bears' offensive line is really bad, and Jason Peters already in week one is already banged up. And I think that they were also dead last in uh, PFF's run blocking grade as a unit too. So there was a lot of things that are going wrong with the Bears up front. And I think that's going to have trickle down effects until we get uh, Justin Fields in there. I do not want to fully panic with Allen Robinson, though. He was still a top 10 receiver last year with bad quarterback play with a bad offensive line. He's still going to get his. Maybe just getting away from Jalen Ramsey is probably going to be pretty helpful for, for A-Rob. I mean, can he get his if this is his route tree, though? You know what I'm saying? Will, like, this has to expand. Yeah, yes, but I, I want to point out that the Rams, this is exactly what the Rams do with their uh, two high looks. This is exactly what Brandon Staley was is bringing to the Chargers, is everything is going to be a pass, and it's going to be right underneath you. So a, a little bit goes into that, but this is truly definitely an Andy Dalton conservative stat. Because I, I guess my point is, while you still have zero confidence in your offensive line, at least when Justin Fields gets out there, he can create something once it all breaks down. And unbroken oh, yeah. plays, maybe, and especially with his arm, that's when the offense, you know, is expanded a little more. I just don't know where the Bears are good right now as like a unit, right? Like Dave Montgomery is good as an individual, but sometimes the blocking isn't good. Like Allen Robinson is good, but the quarterback plays associated to that. Like I just don't know what their plan is right now. And on the other t- side to like, give up one more, uh, you know, star for the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bears are still figuring out their slot corner group. So while Tyler Boyd, as you mentioned, was like wide receiver 80-something in usage, this might be a week where he is fantasy viable as like a wide receiver three. Yeah. It's it's, pre- it's pretty much like now or never for 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 Andy Dalton. I, I think this will be his last week. If they don't beat the, the Bengals here, I think we're going to get Justin Fields next week. Let's jump now to the Houston Texans coming off a big W against the Cleveland Browns. The Browns here. 12 and a half point favorites, 48 total. I don't know how much time we have to spend this game, Hayden. Maybe I'm just wrong and not wanting to give that much respect to the Texans after what they put out there on the field. But truly all Cleveland has to do is repeat what they did for three quarters last week. And this 
is the perfect matchup for their style of Nick Chubb, of Kareem Hunt, of, and it wasn't the case last week, but creating big plays in the running game, which is really their bread and butter, and Baker Mayfield making really good decisions in the passing game. I'm going to say it. I think that Nick Chubb might be a pretty good play this week uh, as 12 and a half point favorite against <laughs> against the, the Texans here. Yeah, I think just the one note I had just for the, the Browns offense is Jarvis Landry's numbers without Odell Beckham because Odell Beckham is obviously not going to play this week. In the last eight games, this was kind of after those couple of weeks where there's a lot of weather going along, uh, going along in Cleveland last year. He's averaging 69 receiving yards on uh, 6.4 receptions on 8.4 targets. And I think that the... The Texans' defense under Lovey Smith, lots of cover two stuff on the back, and I, I believe they led the entire league in that last week. And that's what you get with a lot of underneath targets, especially to someone like Jarvis Landry. So I was considering Jarvis Landry for my Benji of the week. I think this is a great spot to fire him up as like a wide receiver too. Like that a lot. Like that a lot. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, Odell out again. I don't even know if we need to talk about the Houston Texans' offense. It's Brandon Cooks had a bunch of big plays by just outworking the Jacksonville Jaguars secondary, like working out to to make contested catches on like miraculous throws that Tyrod Taylor, you know, broke, contained, broke the pocket and was able to throw down the field. To me, that's great for individual games. That's not an offense. You know what I mean? That's just not an offensive style. It's not, but I thought Tyra Taylor actually looked pretty good. Like he was like a legit NFL starter in week one. Like the plays he was making with pressure in his face, staying in the pocket, willing to take a huge hit and still put touch on the ball. I thought that was uh, pretty encouraging just for Tyra Taylor. Like we have to root for Tyra Taylor. Like this guy got punctured lung. He got kicked out of Cleveland, got kicked out of the, the Buffalo and I always thought that he was like a fringe NFL starter. So I'm happy that he actually looked pretty good and probably his last opportunity. So I'm definitely a huge fan of Tyra. I hope he can make, Brandon Cooks, the guy. But outside of that, it's it's you don't want to mess. Oh, I mean, I guess we have to talk about Mark Mark Ingram just because, like, I mean, he went completely nuclear. The answer is yeah. no, right? The answer is no. no. Yeah, no. The answer is no, and it's so difficult. We talked about this in the instant reaction show to put a game away from the Kansas City Chiefs, and that was just about as close as you possibly could have done it last year or last week, um, and even last year in that in that playoff game. I don't know. I, I just think it's a different animal going up against the Jaguars defense who have players out there who shouldn't even like touch a field or touch a roster and they're starting versus Miles Garrett, Jadavion Clowney, and a bunch of other pieces. So yeah. uh, it's going to be a long day for Houston. Before we move on, some really, really fun games. Everyone out there, the whole goal of the show is to help you win, help you have more fun. Like and subscribe down below. Again, we have a pre-game show that goes live at 10 a.m. Eastern on Sunday mornings. That goes for almost three hours. And uh, then we're back around 7.15, 7.30 for an instant reaction show. Some of my favorites and obviously a, a Tuesday evening show as well. So join us for those, please. Here we go. Rams, Colts, Rams on the road, three and a half point favorites, 47 and a half total. Hayden, a tale of two different week ones with these two teams. The Rams dominated the Bears on Sunday night football, the Colts lost to Seattle, and to me, failed to showcase any explosiveness. Meanwhile, feels like the Rams just have a ton of explosive players and didn't even have to use all of them. And to be honest with you, I don't think we've even seen the final form of this Rams offense yet because they weren't forced to show it in that week one contest. 
yeah, it was just bombs away, and then they didn't. They kind of just hit it in the second half of the uh, second half of the game. So I, I'm totally with you. I think that the the Rams' offense. I was surprised that they're only projected to score the 14th most points in Vegas right now. So I, I, I'm all over the Rams. I think that there's one player I definitely want to highlight, and that is Tyler Higby. In week one, he ran on a route on 93% of Stafford dropbacks. Last year, that was down at 51%. And Tyler Higby has always been a super efficient player. Even last year, when he busted as like a seventh, eighth round pick, he was still top five in a lot of the efficiency metrics. He was just staying into pass block. And that's not what he's going to be asked to do this year. And I think that's how you get these like fringe top five uh, ceiling outcomes for someone like Tyler Higby. So I think that he was the most encouraging player for the Rams, at least for fantasy purposes, outside of just Stafford looking the part um, in week one. Watch out for Sean McVay to isolate the Colts safeties like Seattle did last week. Seattle was taking a lot of easier receptions short. And then once they got the look that they wanted, especially with Tyler Lockett in the slot, getting free releases and then working against those two high safeties, basically force one to play man to man with them. And it put them in a blender. Um, I mean, the Rams have Van Jefferson to do that. The Rams have, I think Robert Woods and Cooper cup can do that. The Rams obviously have Deshaun Jackson to potentially do that. And, uh, I wouldn't be shocked at all if we see another 50-yard touchdown from from Matthew Stafford this week, too. I think that's very, very much in play. One final note for the Rams. They were, I believe, 12th or 13th in neutral pace last season. Last week, they went already back up to number one in neutral pace, and they were 10th in neutral pass rate. So those are the two stats you're looking at. When you're top 10 in both of those stats, that's where you have Cooper Cup, wide receiver one outcomes, Robert Woods, wide receiver one outcomes, Van Jefferson, Deshaun Jackson, these guys kind of filtering boom bust weeks and then Tyler Higby could be a top eight receiver. So this is like the Rams passing game was perfect uh, for week one. Daryl Henderson running back two moving forward until we see that usage potentially change. And if not running back two, I think people are freaking out about Robert Woods. Again, this is one of those games where it just wasn't necessary to use all the pieces last yep. week. And this might be one and we might have seen more and more of them moving forward. Robert Woods is going to be totally, totally fine as we move into coming weeks. Let's talk about the Colts. Carson Wentz, man, um, it's lethargic. It's slow. It feels like every single drop back Hayden is 11 yards and he just holds onto the ball and there's nothing quick. There's nothing sudden about this offense. He's double clutching, um, trying to loft passes to non-explosive players down the field. This team was at their best on like their first drive when Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines were picking up chunk yards. And then when they tried to put the ball in Carson Wentz's hands to, to make up like a 14-point lead, just couldn't do it. And I just don't think he can do it. The Colts' offense is going to be really ugly. They were dead last in neutral offensive pace. And like you said, Carson Wentz does not seem like he's quite as athletic. And that's why he had like all those huge years like back in 2017, 2018, because he was getting out of the pocket on third down, staying in there and delivering a ball downfield. And that's where he kept getting lucky with all those touch in, touchdowns. I'm not sure if we're going to see that. And I was super discouraged by Michael Pittman because he was out there for like full-time snaps and only got a couple targets. So that was a bad sign. I think that you're going to, this is going to be an offense that goes through the ground game, which is not great. Naeem Hines is still involved. Jonathan Taylor still will be a top 10 fantasy option, but they really need Michael Pittman to be a guy. If Michael Pittman is not a guy, this offense is going to be pretty tough to watch. I'm totally with you. It's they have to be a winning team in order for Jonathan Taylor to hit his ceiling, you know, and 
than Naeem Hines for him to be viable. They have to be working in a lot of negative games. It's, it's, it's this weird balance. It's this weird group right now. And I just don't think they have the quarterback necessary to, to win a game like this. I know the spread is only three and a half. Really, really like the Rams in yep. this one. Yep. Um, okay, let's keep it moving. So many more good games. Denver Broncos, Jacksonville Jaguars, total of 45 and a half. Broncos on the road, six-point favorites against that abysmal Jacksonville team. Uh, hey, and the number one storyline here <clears throat> is Jerry Judy being out. Uh, there has been a lot of conversation of KJ Hamler, and rightfully so. Uh, a lot of conversation on Tim Patrick. I'll get to Hamler in a moment, who is a big-body possession wide receiver. I think some people, to fill out their DFS lineups or as a possible start in a flex spot, want to decide between the two especially against a Jaguars team and defense that was the worst in the NFL last week. I think it's going to be Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton in 12 personnel. KJ Hamler will be the vertical slot player and Noah fan is going to possibly be their leading target getter. He was the number one on the team in fantasy usage last week, but this is also going to be kind of a similar offense to the Colts where they're going to be really slow paced. They're going to rely on their defense. They're going to be probably pretty 50, 50 when it comes to passing the ball and they don't have the quarterback to make out of structure plays. So I think the Colts and the Broncos have pretty similar offenses, except that the I think the, the Colts have they don't have the wide receiver skill possession talent like the Broncos do. But um I was kind of surprised to see the Broncos be projected for the 13th most points. I would take them down a little bit with mm. Jerry Judy out of the picture. KJ Hamler was this close to being like a huge talking point this week. If he didn't drop that deep touchdown. He'd be mentioned among the massive names because then he also has a much larger opportunity without Jerry Judy on the field. And hey, if we like put skill sets out there, KJ Hamler's skill set is much closer to Jerry Judy's than Tim Patrick's is. Yes, 100%. Um, and where was Jacksonville getting beat last week? Well, all over the field. Everywhere. Especially <laughs> deep. Especially deep on yeah. those. And Teddy's got some jukes. What he was putting out there last week in terms of buying himself some time. He's got some jukes. Again, you're going to see a lot of buzz on Tim Patrick's in these football streets. Uh, KJ Hamler is the guy that I'm kind of in love with in this contest. I'm also in love with Noah Fant. Um, oh, oh, he's yeah. gotten some of his snaps broken into because of Albert O. But I think that this potentially puts Noah Fant in line to be the top target getter on the Denver Broncos for as long as Jerry Judy is out. Anything you want to talk about that backfield before we move on to Jacksonville's backfield as well? Literally a 50-50 split when you're looking at snaps between Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon was out there a little earlier in the game, and he had that huge run. And like I've said, I've said it a million times, the Broncos are paying this guy the fourth most money at the position. He's going to be out there. So I would wait on Javante Williams. I will not panic, but I will think that this is going to be a two-back committee for the foreseeable future. Obviously, this is a game script, a six-point favorites against the Jaguars, where you kind of want to get these guys in there. But this will be basically a 50-50 timeshare, which is not the greatest news for either. Lots of Jaguars pieces were drafted fairly early. Uh, I think all three of their wide receivers ended up as top 48 wide receivers, the Vizca Chenault being way ahead of the pack. Marvin Jones, DJ Chark were the ones with air yards, were the ones with big plays down the field. Visca, I think you sent me, six of nine of his targets were either screens manufactured touches or jet sweeps. That's basically the exact same role that we saw of him last season. And if that's the case in this offense, Hayden in positive game scripts, that's going to work. 
and negative game scripts, which might be facing a lot coming from behind and trying to close the gap, DJ Chark and Marvin Jones seem to be much better options. I will be ranking both of them over LaVisca Chanel. It's just, just think about it. When your A dot is near the line of scrimmage, which it was back in college as a rookie, and then this year and in the preseason, and you're only playing in three wide receiver sets because you're a slot only player, that is hard to be a fantasy asset. Like that means you have to be elite, elite, elite at breaking tackles and being a red zone threat. Maybe LaVisca has the talent to do that, but right now, Marvin Jones, DJ Shark, they were like top 10 in air yards. They're playing every single snap and they have probably higher red zone potential too. So I think maybe we can get it by the end of the year for LaVisca Chanel, but right now I think it's DJ Shark and Marvin Jones. I think Trevor Lawrence has some like Philip Rivers in him when it gets to certain scenarios. He just doesn't care about throwing interceptions. He just wants to try to get points and lead this team down the field and create some explosive plays. Like he's not just cowering and taking checkdowns over and over and over again, which I, I admire. That's good. That's going to, you know, for a team that's probably going to lose a lot of games this year, that could mean some really good fantasy points for us with Trevor Lawrence, even if they only win, you know, three, four or five games for the rest of the season. Now, what does that mean for James Robinson, who last year had a quarterback that in those scenarios wanted to check down, who that team, you know, wasn't trying to chase points at all times. And so gave him a boatload of touches. Uh, Hayden, James Robinson, this is just not the time, not the place for him to succeed even close to me what he did last season. Well, yeah, compared to last season, that's out of the picture. I still think that there is hope for flex play out of James Robinson because he ran around on 64% of the dropbacks. Uh, to be honest, Carlos Hyde kind of ran pretty well, but they got rid of the run game immediately because they're down by so much. So I think that in negative game scripts, that's where you're going to see James Robinson. But if uh, Trevor Lawrence kind of has that Justin Herbert in him where he's, his eyes are downfield. He wants to get the ball way down these kind of seam and hole shots. That would be bad news for James Robinson compared to last year where he's just getting peppered with these little check downs. So definitely an L for James Robinson in week one. I'm not fully writing him off just quite yet, but I would be, I'd be very nervous against the Broncos uh, to start him like as a flex play this week. Let's jump to another game. One that should be, Absolutely electric. The Buffalo Bills, the Miami Dolphins, Bills on the road, three and a half point favorites after their loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers last week, 47 and a half total. Hayden, lots of discourse in our football bubble about, well, is the old Josh Allen back? Are the Bills even that good? Are, did they hit their peak and they're on the decline now? Look, I don't know if we've ever seen this offense run as poorly as it was last week. As, efficient, as unefficiently as it was last week. I mean, there was a fourth and one trickeration that they tried. I don't know if you saw that play. Yep. Abysmal. Loss yep. of like six yards. Stupid. There were a bunch of drop passes. There was a deep shot just out of reach. And yet, despite all of those negatives baked into the whole thing, it was 13 to 10 with 10 minutes to go. And then they gave a block, a blocked punt touchdown. And then the game was over. Like, the core of the Bills team in terms of passing with four wide receivers going empty and putting the ball in Josh Allen's hands is there. To me, that's still good and good process, and it's going to pay off for us. Yeah, top five neutral pace, top five neutral pass rate. That's exactly what you're looking for if you drafted Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen, everybody. They're not going to be playing the Steelers every single week. And some of those throws that were downfield that were just missed 
will turn into long touchdowns. So I'm not fully panicking yet. I, I did think that Josh Allen missed like some throws that he was just like absolutely hitting last year, which is just like one game sample size. So like this is not the time to react. I will say playing in Miami against the Dolphins is also not a very uh, friendly matchup, um, especially because the Dolphins were third in neutral or uh, pass efficiency last year. And they held quarterbacks pretty well too. So there's going to be a very aggressive Dolphins defense against a very spread pass heavy Bills offense. And I'm, I'm pretty excited for this one. Yeah. Your point on Josh Allen is, is totally fair. And I think if we're comparing it to last year, he was the most successful quarterback in clean situations, you know, like yep. it was just impossible for us to get that again. Now he'll probably be top five, top 10 this year. And I think that week one, as you alluded to, the Seathers have guys who chase after you and Mika Fitzpatrick rolling all over the field, you know, like that's just really tough. That's really tough on those extended plays quickly at their wide receiver spot. Cause I don't care at all about running back on that team. Um, Gabriel Davis was the one that found the end zone, but Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders played over him every single time. And I think it's going to stay that way moving forward. Hayden, those are kind of like the, the consistent pieces around them, but they might not have like the same explosive play, even though Emmanuel Sanders was the one who had that missed long play as well. Definitely. I think that Cole Beasley is a flex option. He didn't yeah. have the, the fancy numbers, but he ran around on 98% of dropbacks. He actually was finishing wide receiver 11 in usage. So he just got pretty unlucky. A lot of that was just Minka Fitzpatrick, just laying him out time and time again over the middle. So I think that Cole Beasley, that it was the perfect game to be confident, to put him into your uh, wide receiver three flex and deeper leagues. I think that he's one of the bigger positive regression candidates heading into week two. Let's talk about the Miami Dolphins. Uh, interesting week one. They got a W, stole it away a bit from the New England Patriots. We get to see Tua in a quote-unquote system that was built for him. We got to see Jalen Waddle, who, as we have referenced, just moves differently than a lot of other wide receivers at that position. Devontae Parker always has a really good game. And Hayden, this should be the week that we get Will Fuller back, a player you and I are heavily invested in this year because of the talent that he has shown over and over and over again. Sounds like he missed practice on Thursday with an excused absence, not an injury. So we still don't know his role in this offense at all. It could be massive. It could be decoy. Who knows? What was your view on the Dolphins week one performance on offense? I was worried about Tua. Like, were you? Like, I didn't see the elite level accuracy. I still looked at a player that was just locking on his first read and not bailing off of it. And there was a couple of times where he just threw the ball out of bounds on plays that were one-on-one matchups. And that was concerning. But the biggest thing for me was obviously the offensive line was, was really bad. And we should have expected that with the Patriots, but there was a time where he was breaking out of the pocket and trying to scramble for a first down and he ended up trying to slide. But when he was running, it didn't look right. And his slide did not look right. And those are the type of plays at Alabama where he was creating time on his own and throwing the ball downfield for 80 yard touchdown to, to Henry Ruggs. If he's not doing that, I'm going to be a little nervous. The good news is they have all the skilled skill guys that you can ever want. Will Fuller, I think, is a basically a fringe top 10 wide receiver whenever he's out there. And Jalen Waddle looked very explosive. A lot of it was kind of underneath throws that he would just make a play on. But I think that with those two, even if two is not that great, they can be a productive offense because I think that the wide receiver group is going to carry them. Jalen Waddle is obviously known for his yards after catch. 
many times Will Fuller is pitch and told as just as vertical playmaker, but I think we saw it last year with the Texans that he did have yards after catch capabilities. Like he was finally given those opportunities. So it wouldn't shock me what you know, what you are saying. And like the Dolphins know that as well. Like that's the best area uh, for this team. Let's talk about, um, do we need to talk about that backfield? I mean, Miles Gaskin is just not, unless he has that like same screen game usage, same running game usage as last year, uh, it's not a player you can start with confidence. And as we alluded to, no player needed more of a reset during fantasy draft season in terms of their ADP than Mike Gesicki. And like, even with Will Fuller coming back, that should even tick down Mike Gesicki and his usage as we go forward. I would rank Devin Singletary ahead of Miles Gaskin. Miles Gaskin ran or was on the field for 54% of the snaps. Devin Singletary, career high in snaps. We'll see if Zach Moss is a healthy scratch again. But if that is the case, I think that Devin Singletary is basically a three down guy. And even though the Bills don't use the running backs very often, if you're a full time player, that gets you into the RB3 discussion. So, um, but I think both of those guys would be ranked pretty similarly uh, for me. Jumping now to two rookie quarterbacks facing each other for the first time. The Patriots are six-point favorites on the road against the New York Jets, a total of 42 and a half. First starts for quarterbacks, Hayden, are always really fun to watch, really fun to break down. Since they're the favorites that start with the Patriots, what are your thoughts on Mac Jones after his debut? I thought Mac Jones did exactly what he was doing at Alabama. I thought he was very accurate. He looked very polished. Like if you're just like looking at like uh, how he handles his play actions, when he actually is handing the ball off, what he's doing afterwards, all the little details that you know Nick Saban drilled into him and Bill Belichick's doing the same, that looks great. I thought that he was making a lot of quick passes, getting the ball out on time, and that's exactly what he did at Alabama. Now, there were some plays where he was leaving, letting probably – he should have let the ball rip downfield a couple times but i think that's like first start you don't want to make a mockery of yourself and throw three interceptions get your feet wet consistently move the ball but i think that like the patriots probably gonna have a lot of like 12 play drives for their touchdowns and not a bunch of explosive plays and i think that's okay for mac jones i think that this was a very positive start for mac and i actually think he should be the rookie of the year favorite just because the Jaguars looked really bad and the Patriots are going to be super competitive. I thought Mac Jones certainly looked the part. And I think he did enough to give us a lot of positivity for Jacoby Myers moving forward. Spiked weeks from Nelson Aguilar like we had last week with that touchdown as well. And Johnny Smith, they got him involved in a lot of different ways. It certainly is not, you know, the Gronk Aaron Hernandez tight end combo. But Johnny Smith was used in some really, really creative ways. And I think most importantly, Hayden, the the vision that the Patriots wanted to implement, it was so obvious in week one, and they did it for yep. most of that game. I mean, it was basically to a winning effort. And it started off with that first carry with 35 yards to Damian Harris. I mean, we were running so hot on Damian <laughs> Harris, dude. It was going perfectly until that final – he was going to get that touchdown too. But until that final fumble – um, and look, now you get the Jets. And I know that Trent Brown is out at right tackle, and that's a big deal. It was a big deal last week. But one, the Jets have no outside pass rushers. And two, we saw, and it's going to be in very different ways, but the Jets defense is going to be among the worst in the NFL. So unless Bill Belichick, running backs coach, Josh McDaniels do something crazy and say like, oh, J.J. Taylor, you're the one that didn't make a mistake last week because you were inactive. To me, it's Damian Harris season all day. And if you get another 20 carries against a bad defense, when last we heard he hit 100 mark against a good defense, 
this is we're starting to rumble here with a Dame train. I'm going to be ranking Damian Harris inside my top 24 running backs this week. You just can't give the ball to James White 100 times. You can't give the ball to J.J. Taylor 100 times. And Ramondre Stevenson fumbled the ball and had a brutal uh, pass protection well where he almost got Mac Jones' ACL ripped off. So I don't think that they're going to give Ramondre Stevenson the job. And I thought that Damian Harris, outside of that fumble, which was really bad, looked pretty good. So I think that he's the identity of the team, what the Patriots want to do, be very balanced, get Mac Jones into good situations. And I think that this is the perfect matchup. I mean, the Jets literally have no talent on defense at, at any level. It's just bad everywhere. Um, and this is like the matchup where Bill, Bill Belichick against Zach Wilson just goes absolutely nuts. And then Damian Harrison positive game script. Let's flip on over to the New York Jets, who are starting a rookie quarterback in Zach Wilson. The Patriots are 25 and six straight up under Bill Belichick against a starting rookie quarterback in the regular season. Ooh. And that's from our friend Cleve TA. Shout out to you. Um, we know last week, Zach Wilson played a very difficult defense, a fast defense in the Carolina Panthers. Some negatives, some positives, like even on bad plays, you saw the arm talent. It looked pretty. That's all good. It was like, you know, one reach here in the opposite direction, like, a little bit too far here in cases. If you can reel all that in, that's good. A lot of people are nervous about that offensive line without Makai Becton at left tackle. I'd say Zach Wilson was responsible for some of those sacks as well. But Hayden, while that was like a speedy athletic defense, now you get a defense that is just full of bullies. That's smart. A defensive play caller that's going to set you up for failure, play in, play out, series in, series out. So while the personnel is different, it's still a very difficult matchup. There was no Bill Belichick waiting for Zach Wilson in the Mac West in, in college. So, I mean, this is just going to be a nightmare situation. He's going to see a lot of blitzes, a lot of defenses that he's probably never seen before in his entire life on, on film. And it's just going to be a situation where he's just going to have to get rid of the ball way quicker than he did last week. That was my only concern with Zach Wilson. Like the arm talent there, the mobility was was awesome. I thought he looked big enough where I'm not worried that he's just going to get his head ripped off. The one thing is just he took way too many sacks and a lot of them were on him. And then even the plays where he was throwing the ball, he was late and he kind of had locked on eyes to some, most of the time, Corey Davis. Um, so th- those are the things you cannot do against this off, uh, against this defense behind this offensive line. It's going to get really ugly. Uh, let's just hope he gets out of there pretty healthy and gets the ball to old Corey Davis. What we need are some easy receptions to Elijah Moore because that's yes. probably their best yards after catch threat. And where they targeted him was down the field, you know, and a couple of those might hit this season and will hit this season. Corey Davis is awesome. And Corey Davis needs to be in your starting lineup each and every week because that's where, again, we suggested it prior to the season. Top 10, top 15 in targets for the entire year is right there for Corey Davis to achieve. But we need something that's easy. You know, it's not going to be Tyler Croft or the middle of the field. It's not going to be swing passes to Michael Carter because the linebackers just fly and the safeties fly up and tackle there. To me, they have to get something easy to Elijah Moore or else like it's just going to be misused right now where the state of this offensive line is. Bill Belichick always just classic. Who are we going to take away with double coverage? Most likely that's going to be Corey Davis. I wouldn't bench Corey Davis because of that, but I do think this is like the time to use Elijah Moore on the, on the stuff that you're just talking about. I think that's going to be, uh, something that we have to keep an eye on. If it doesn't happen here, I'm going to start getting a little concerned for, for Elijah. Yep. All right, let's jump to the San Francisco 49ers, Philadelphia Eagles, a total of 50 in this game. The 49ers on the road are three and a half point favorites. 
We get questions in the chat, have been for the entire show. Hayden, it's been the conversation on football Twitter all week long. It's Eli Mitchell, it's Trey Sermon, and it's the 49ers backfield. We've talked about it a lot. Final thoughts here before we hit the Sunday slate. I'm going to wait until pregame warmups and look at what the beat reporters because you see who's the, the depth chart in the, in the pregame warmups. So I think that just make sure you're online. We'll get to it on our live q and I'm assuming it's going to be Elijah Mitchell, but I do think Trey Sermon is going to be involved. I thought that Jermichael Hasty did not look like he was like a, a, a an NFL running back. I thought he looked like a special teamer out there. And I think that Trey Sermon's is eventually going to get back into this mix here. So if Trey Sermon was dropped, I'd pick him up. If you spent a bunch of money – on Elijah Mitchell off of waivers. I think that was a worthwhile gamble. We just don't know. I'm going to guess it's Eli Mitchell, but if Trey Sermon has 20 carries here, I'm not going to be like completely floored with that either. I think the only certainty that we know is Eli Mitchell has a place in this backfield. Yes. Um, because he was going to have a place in the backfield in week one, which is theoretically when you put the team out there that you want to win. Now, could Eli Mitchell's volume and carries get up to 70%? Possibly. Could it drop down to like 40%? Yeah, that's possible too. But he is the best one-for-one -one replacement on this team for Raheem Mostert in terms of just straight juice yep. and straight speed. And we know Kyle Shanahan with his outside zone has been doing that for years and years and years. But Kyle's also alluded to that like, hey, we want to be rugged. We want to be tough. We want to run some power in between the tackles too. And that's where we thought Trey Sermon would factor in here. I guess the final thing that I always go back to is this was going to be the tandem heading into next year, you know, because they're the only two backs that are on under contract for 2022. Um, I understand that like Kyle likes the doghouse and puts players in there and wants them to compete. But like you said, this is not the end of the road for Trey Sermon. The only part of it now is we're going to find out more truths, more facts about his usage after this week, and it's kind of impossible to predict it. So I'm cool if you want to start Eli Mitchell in the flex this week. I'm totally cool with that. Against, though, I will say it, a Philadelphia Eagles defense where, Hayden, the last two years, it's been a flaming pile of shit in, in Philadelphia. Yes. And a lot of it's been injuries combined with coaching and putting players in positions to fail. I mean, two years ago or last year, it was offensive line heading into the year. And then as you go along, like even when Jalen Hurts was put out there, that wasn't a winning formula. It wasn't a winning situation. And what Nick Sirianni has already done, thankfully, because of, you know, healthy offensive line pieces, they put this team in a position to succeed on defense. It's a lot of interior defensive talent and edge talent to like disrupt everything in the backfield. And then on the offensive end, Hayden, you have Jalen Hurts combination with Miles Sanders, and now you bring Kenny Gainwell as well. And then Hurts had real poise, Hayden. He has real poise, keeps his eyes up, climbs the pocket. A lot of those short receptions to the right were when he was able you know, to keep inside of structure and avoid the pass rush and climb up. And then you have probably this growing relationship between him and Devontae Smith as downfield players and other guys who can make plays with the ball in their hands. I'm don't want to read too much into week one, but I'm very optimistic about this Philadelphia Eagles team. And that's why they are my underdog of the week. The Eagles right now, when we're looking at them across the entire season, we were projecting them in the offseason. The biggest worry is, man, these guys are really old. Their injury history has been really bad. But right now, when all those guys are healthy, which the Eagles are pretty healthy, 
this is the time to kind of be buying on them. Maybe in five, six, seven, eight weeks from now, they get all injured and stuff. But right now, the Eagles' trenches right now are really tough. They dominated Atlanta last week. They were third in adjusted sack rate of the last season as well. I think that they're going to disrupt the 49ers on both sides of the ball in the trenches. And just going to the 49ers right now, they're they're missing some bodies. I mean, Jason yeah. Brett is out for the year. Uh, I think that they put uh, Greenlaw on uh, IR as well, or he's going to miss some time. And they're already missing a lot of bodies from last season in general too. So I think that this is the perfect at-home upset alert for the 49ers who just like are just going through bodies for another season. Was it Greenlaw or Kinlaw? Kinlaw, a defensive tackle, might be the one who's been missing some time since Dre Greenlaw, well. linebacker, Both of Dre Greenlaw, his core injury wow. uh, is going to put him out too. So it's a lot of bodies that are on 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 the on the mend. And that game between the Lions and the 49ers really was never close last week. But like you look early on, Hayden, the Lions offensive line was creating some holes for DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. Like that interior, that front seven of the 49ers probably just isn't as good as we've seen from them in the last few years. And I thought Miles Sanders had some juice, man. Like I thought he looked shifty. I know there weren't any like massive big plays or anything like that, but I think some are coming for him. I think some are coming for Devontae Smith as well. Um, it's just predicting those like big individual weeks from the Philly side is, is tough because it kind of is like this group that uh, is not ex- explosive. Isn't the right word. It's weird. It's like, a boulder that like or a snowball that continues to build and build. It's like an avalanche almost that like can just take you over and, and dominate a game. If they can, if their defense is playing well, um, anything quickly. Cause I know a lot of people drafted Brandon Ayuk as a top 24 wide receiver. We have no idea what his status is in terms of playing time right now. Hayden, just based on that, I think the safe route would be because wide receiver is so deep. Like if you have a Cole Beasley, would you start Cole Beasley over Brandon Ayuk? I think that's like a fair question. I'm hoping that we get some some news going into week one because right now on Thursday afternoon, it's pretty tough. But I think that Trent Sherfield's going to play at the expense of Ayuk for a little bit. Now, I, I do think that Ayuk over the course of the season is going to win out here. And I don't know if it's a doghouse thing, if it's a hamstring injury thing, or it's a combination of the two. But I think that right now, like you're clearly putting Debo Samuel in like the wide receiver 2-3 conversation. Ayuk is that like, I'm okay getting a zero point floor. He's my wide receiver for flex play. And I know what I'm getting into by putting him into the lineup. So I think that's the kind of the, how I'm playing this right now. One more one o'clock window game. That is the Las Vegas Raiders going against the Pittsburgh Steelers Steelers five and a half point favorites at home, a total of 47 points in this game, by the way, and our boy Cleve TA pointed this out. If you ever want to check to see what John Gruden thinks about East Coast games, the one o'clock window, he hates them, Hayden. He hates flying, has talked about over and over and over again that he never feels like comfortable doing it. So maybe that's a factor here as well. Obviously, both that's me right are, now. Not yeah, feeling comfortable both, flying everywhere. Both of these teams are, are one and oh. Um, since the Raiders are freshest in our mind, let's talk about the Steelers. Look, I know they won that game against a very good Bills team. I hate watching Ben Roethlisberger right now. I mean, it's floater after floater, rainbow after rainbow from it's really discouraging when you consider that they have three wide receivers that are a lot of fun. They have Najee Harris who can be a lot of fun. I felt like for Ben, it was shotgun snap, rock on your back foot, lob it up in ISO coverage on a predetermined play and predetermined route before the snap. 
led to a lot of deflections near the catch point, tough catches that his wide receivers had to make. I don't see anything like on a dart, on an arrow, lasers. And because of that, Hayden, this offense is just never going to hit its peak, I think. I totally am with you. I was hoping that he was going to feel better. But if he wasn't looking like it in week one, I don't know how we can start expecting it moving forward. With that said, he still has those three wide receivers. And they have have Najee Harris. And the Raiders defense is still really bad. So I think that you couldn't get some production out of these receivers. The problem, though, with them is it's still chaos. Juju led the group in snaps and routes. Deontay led it in usage. And then Chase Claypool, in my opinion, looked the best. So we're back to where we were last year when all of them were boom, bust, wide receiver two, wide receiver threes, depending on your league format. And we just didn't get any clear-cut answers from what they're going to be doing. Um, I know Deontay missed some time. Chase Claypool was in and out of 12 personnel. Like I got no answers from any of them. I don't know how to rank uh, any of these three Steelers wide receivers. And I think that that offensive style wasn't exactly what they wanted to do. I think in a perfect world, they they want to allow Najee Harris to like command the offense in a lot of ways. He just has to be successful and more efficient on it. And last week against the Bills, it just wasn't going to happen. But Hayden, it's going to happen this week. And if you allow it to me, that's why Najee Harris for receiving and rushing is my Benji of the week. He's going to hit 100 combined yards after letting people down, took him in the second round in drafts. I think that this is the game to get back on there. I will say that that is possible. That's still not going to change my opinion. Like think of if Justin Herbert was the quarterback here, or if Zach Wilson was the quarterback here, anyone with arm talent that could throw outside the numbers darts, it would feel so much different. Instead, these outside shots are just rainbows, 17 yards on the field that travel like a punt, you know? Yeah. I'm never going to get over that feeling of, of how I'm watching the Steelers right now. But, uh, but yeah, and, and he's Harris a, is the Benji. I, I like that call. And just going back to the big Ben thing, he's not even throwing the ball downfield very often. We're not even going to see the, the wiggling ducks across the row here. Cause in clean pockets last week, his ADOT was 4.6 yards. I mean, that was like, I believe second worst, second lowest. That's why Deontay Johnson gets 10 targets and averages 3.6 yards on them because everything's just a little quick out. And the defenses are like, sure. Pick up those four yards. We don't care. You're going to end up punting or throw a pick. So the Steelers offense was, it was tough to watch, but I do like the Najee Harris call. He was number one in the positive regression candidate. According to my model, I think that he was had top 10 fantasy usage. So I think that you should expect a bounce back week for Najee. Anything on the Raiders offense. That was a wild and crazy game that they, Derek Carr's good. (laughs) We know that Darren Waller uh, had 19 targets. I believe. Um, And it all went wrong in the first half, Hayden. Like no one was on the same page with Derek Carr and his receivers and his pass catchers. Um, What do you, I mean, we saw the Steelers defense shut down Josh Allen last week. Makes me very fearful of what could possibly happen here with the Raiders this weekend. I'm worried about the Raiders offensive line. Their right guard tears his ACL. He's out. Richie Incognito didn't practice today. He's probably out. And Alex Leatherwood was the worst graded uh, offensive tackle of week one. And I mean, this is just a brand new unit all like all across the board, basically for no reason what the Raiders front office did this offseason made no sense to me because that was their unit that they can kind of get behind. But I think that Derek Carr is kind of playing above that. 
Um, the problem is you, it's literally just Darren Waller right now. I mean, yep. they didn't get Henry Ruggs going. Brian Edwards, I don't think, had a catch until like a minute left in the game. So re- like it, it's weird to say, but like Derek Carr is carrying this team because the, it's a bad offensive line right now. It's a bad defense, and it's a bad wide receiver core. Um, so it's really just Derek Carr. So that's why I think that he's a top 12 real-life quarterback there. And look, last week he did really well against pressure. Um, if we look at Derek Carr in totality as a player that exists in this universe, typically not a player who does great against pressure. Yes. And it's not going to be pretty this week against Correct. The, the Steelers. So, yeah. So, forget, so while forget like that in stuff. one isolated game, we can say, hey, Derek Carr was really good in this for an entire season. I'm not ready to go in that route and be like, oh, man, he can carry this team no matter what the offensive line does. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Jumping now to the four o'clock window, but before we get there, everyone, I need everyone in the chat because our whole goal is to help you win, to have a little more fun on Sundays and Mondays. Like and subscribe down below. We are here every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sundays with live shows. Clips around the clock every single day of the week as well. Sunday morning starts at shows. Sunday evening, instant reaction. Tuesday, we combine film and data. Boom, join that together and here our game-by-game preview show. Appreciate you all as we're on the road to 5,000 subs. Hayden, let's do it. Let's jump now to a loaded 4 o'clock slate. Love it when this happens. Minnesota Vikings, Arizona Cardinals, total of 50 and a half. Cardinals after dominating the Tennessee Titans last week, three and a half point favorites here. What can we say about Kyler Murray? We can say everything about Kyler Murray. He is special. There's basically no one else in the position like him now or ever. He's even shouted out Rodney Hudson, Hayden, a call that we made this summer as someone who helped him pick up zero blitzes in week one. And if you give Kyler time, if you give him space, if you don't give him any of that, he can still make crazy things happen. And now because we have AJ Green on the outside, Hayden Christian Kirk is a nice little setup here in the slot where he's going to win best out there on the field. The offense just looks way more complete. Like last year, the offensive line, it was a mess. They're using their receivers in ways that they weren't designed to be used. Like Larry Fitzgerald as like a freaking yards after the catch guy. And then Christian Kirk as the downfield threat. Like that's not how you get the job done. So I'm totally with you. Kyler Murray was the number one fantasy quarterback of all time through 10 weeks before he injured his shoulder, looked the part last week. And that's what's so crazy about those numbers is he wasn't even an efficient passer. Like last year, uh, I think from the beginning of 2020, they're 18th in passing EPA. I mean, if they're a top 10 passing EPA offense and you get the Kyler juice, I mean, he could be easily the number one fantasy receiver, especially this week. There's no Everson Griffin for the Vikings. It sounds like Anthony Barr might miss. The Vikings defense just in general still didn't look very good against the Bengals. So I think that this is a week where if it's not Patrick Mahomes, it's certainly Kyler Murray at quarterback one overall. Kyler has a chance to put together a 2019 Lamar season. Yes. A 2020, what, Aaron Aaron Rodgers season, Patrick Mahomes season, where we like say, oh, there's your fantasy winner. Kyler can do that. And a lot of people got nervous of, oh, is he going to run as much after a shoulder injury? He was the one who took that naked boot to the house and inside the 10-yard line. That is still their best play once they get close to the goal line. He's going to get his rushing points. I just don't know, though, Hayden, how often we're going to be able to start all the pieces around him because it's going to be more spread out. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, obviously, is, is stuck in your starting lineup. But, like, 
I think a best ball format is better for Rondell Moore. I think a best ball format is going to be better for Christian Kirk. And with Chase Edmonds and James Conner, it's going to be who gets the opportunities if they can convert them inside the 10-yard line. It's really a Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins fantasy team for us, and then we move from there. Definitely. All those other guys are just like, I'm in bi-week hell and I have to throw somebody in there. And at least this is an explosive offense, but right. totally with you. Yeah. It, Chase Edmonds was the clear cut guy in passing downs. James Conner mixed in near the goal line. Eventually James Conner will convert some of those goal line, t- uh, goal line opportunities into touchdowns and he'll have some numbers, but none of them are like definite starters. Um, definitely want to note that Rondell Moore was playing behind Christian Kirk. And I think that Rondell Moore also kind of like the LaVisca Chenault conversation, low A dot, slot only, lots of target competition. I think it's going to be pretty hard for Rondale Moore to be an every week fantasy starter as a rookie. I have a little trouble not understanding the Vikings necessarily, but just trying to realize how good they are heading into week two because this isn't an easy matchup they're, they're up against. And look, they should have won that game last week. Let's not forget that against the Bengals. I mean, if Dalvin Cook doesn't fumble – the ball, I mean, they are, I think, of a first down at the Cincinnati 38, and they can easily just start setting up time for a field goal. Now, you get Chandler Jones rushing the passer. Hayden, if I asked you, who's the Vikings left tackle? Who is it? Well, right now, Darisaw's not out there. I have no idea who it is. Yeah, Rashad Hill, you know? So Chandler Jones, he's not going to get five sacks or four sacks or three sacks. He's going to disrupt you know, and Kirk Cousins is a mobile quarter is, is an immobile quarterback. He's a pocket passer. And then you also have J.J. Watt, who is making plays last week as well. So Hayden, while on paper, this Cardinals secondary might not be the best, especially at cornerback, they have pieces now. They're like might be one of these teams that when you're trying to make up ground on their offense, have these guys that can get after the quarterback or make sacks or force turnovers that prevent you from doing that. And they they were really the ones that put them in a place to succeed last week because of those sack fumbles. Definitely. I think that if I was picking one team to be like, okay, I think I was probably wrong on this team in general. It's probably the Cardinals for two reasons. Kyler might be taking this third-year leap with better uh, just talent around him, but also that this really aggressive defense has the, the edge rushers to just go crazy and just really put put the pressure on uh, quarterbacks. So I think that the Cardinals are uh, – I mean, they're going to be right there in the mix with the NFC West. Like the, the fourth best team in the NFC West could win divisions all across the AFC and the NFC. It's pretty, it's pretty loaded. And I don't even know how much we need to go into it because we know you're starting Dalvin Cook. We know you're starting Justin Jefferson. And Adam Thielen inside the 20 and inside the 10 is like their go-to player in terms of touchdowns. And they yep. could be in there with a total of over 50. So I think we're still starting all three of those pieces as we move along. Yeah, the Vikings, I don't even watch the Vikings on Game Pass every week because like we already know like what like yeah, what you see is starting what you those get. guys. It's those three guys. It's nobody else next. Yep. All right, let's jump now to the Atlanta Falcons, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Hayden, total 52 in this game. Tampa's 12 and a half point favorites. Maybe no team let us down more than Atlanta here in uh, in week one. It wasn't like, oh, bad turnovers. They never got rhythm going. They just didn't have an offense on the field, period. Um, yep. I don't even know what to think of them heading into week two. Yeah, sure, the usage of Kyle Pitts was good. But like, 
that same connection on those like 17 yard comebacks between Matt Ryan and Calvin Ridley, they weren't even there in week one. And, and Hayden, as we think about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, sadly, what did they just do to Ezekiel Elliott? And it's going to happen exactly to our guy in Mike Davis this week. And I hate to say it, but you got to bench Mike Davis, don't you? Oh yeah. You're for sure benching Mike right. Davis. I mean, yeah, he was like already a, 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 on the what RB two, three, Order. like this is not the the game for for Mike Davis at all and I mean we're just looking at just like I, I guess the one argument you can make is that the Bucks secondary is kind of banged up right now but just like how much pressure they're going to put on I mean just the entire Falcons offensive line it's going to get I think this game's going to get really ugly especially on the Bucks offensive side of the ball I mean the Falcons can't stop anybody they just got shredded by the Eagles and Tom Brady last year had 394 yards and 309 passing yards against the Falcons. I think that Falcons defense from last year might even be better. So this is just going to be, um, I think a, a pretty big ass kicking here. All right. Rank the wide receivers then. Okay. Cause we don't care about the running backs, even in an extreme positive game script. Do we, we do Hayden, you want to touch either Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette or Giovanni Bernard this week. I think that Leonard Fournette is kind of interesting. Maybe not, well, maybe this week has 12-point favorites, but I, I do think that the Rojo stuff, they're getting sick and tired of it. And quietly, they gave Leonard Fournette $3 million, which is like not nothing. That's more than like – like that's three times as much as Giovanni Bernard. So I think that there is some pass to Leonard Fournette. If Ronald Jones fumbles one more time or drops a pass or something, I think Fournette is going to be something that we're going to be have to, having to talk about. To answer the wide receiver question, it is tight. I would go Chris Godwin, number one, then Mike Evans, and then Antonio Brown. But Antonio mm. Brown is not like wide receiver 38 anymore. Like Antonio Brown is like wide receiver 25. Mike Evans is like wide receiver 22. Like this gap is really, really tight. And just Antonio Brown is just a totally different uh, player right now just because he seems locked in under Tom Brady. And Rob Gronkowski is a top 12 scoring tight end as we move forward. Just his yep. usage and his play and how connected he is with Tom. That that was absolutely evident for us. Okay, let's keep it rolling. I feel like we hit on that game as much as we needed to. Uh, one of the games of the weekend, Dallas Cowboys, Seattle Seahawks, total of 54, Tennessee, five-and-a-half-point road underdogs here. Um, let's talk about Seattle first, Hayden. So much conversation of what Shane Waldron would do we saw rollouts, we saw boot action, and then, like I mentioned, we saw Tyra Lockett isolated on downfield routes against safeties after a free release from the line of scrimmage. They scored a touchdown on their opening two drives. Uh, we saw that Tennessee's defense was absolutely no match for the Arizona Cardinals. Um, DK Metcalf, Tyra Lockett, and low-key Chris Carson should be a lot of fun this week. Chris Carson is my Benji of the week. There's a couple of reasons for that. You saw him average 97 and a half total yards and career wins. And I feel I'm pretty good about the Seahawks at home here. I was not impressed by the Titans. And then if you just look at the, the, the stats of the Titans defense that we're putting up right now, 22nd rushing EPA defense, 26 against uh, fantasy running backs in general. There's no Rashad Penny and Chris Carson was just trucking people like he always has. So I think that this is another huge week for Chris Carson. I think that he's somebody that's going to be flirting inside your top 12, not the RB2 mix. I think the low RB1 mix, the Seahawks are projected for the six most points this week. I think that this is a big week for Chris Carson, maybe 100 yards and two scores. 
in a more positive way, this is basically like the Minnesota Vikings, where we know we're starting all four of these pizzas each and every week, and then we move on from there. I guess we do need to talk about the Titans, though, because Hayden, offensively, everything went wrong. I mean, as I kept saying in an optimistic way, we had never seen Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, and Ryan Tannehill on the field at the same time prior to week one. Then it just bombed in my face that we hadn't seen them. They weren't on the same page at all. But I think the root of it, Hayden, I don't know how much we can take from that week one performance from this team. Because again, sack fumbles just derail your entire flow of the game, especially a team that wants to throw to lead and then run to win when arguably one of your top two pieces in offense gets taken out of the game completely in Derrick Henry. I don't know what we could have extrapolated from that week one performance. And I, it's, I don't expect that to happen week over week. I'm not saying like Seattle's defense is you know worse than Arizona's necessarily, but that's just a formula that is so difficult for other teams to beat you week over week. We don't see five sacks in a single game. The Titans are just like it's a domino effect. If they don't have a lead early and they can't run the ball, then they can't do play action. If you look at the week one stats, the Titans were like bottom three in play action right after being I think number one last season obviously the scoreboard plays into that the one thing that was kind of concerning for me was under arthur smith the titans were top five neutral pace and then even the falcons last were were top five neutral pace then suddenly under todd downing they were 30th in neutral pace in week one i don't like that formula if they're going to be really run heavy and slow like that is that is not the um the best combo i will say that the seahawks uh Cornerback group is still not very good. Their front seven sick, but there there's still plenty of opportunities for Julio and AJ Brown to go crazy. Totally agree. Like Julio was not going to suck all season long. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like let let's let's zoom out and think about the talents that they have here. I think the only thing that we did learn is that left tackle is a liability, and their defense is awful. Like that's yes. Those are the main pickups that from and people have been saying. Todd Downing's play action rate, I think some context is warranted there. Like when you're down 17 points and it's third and 12 or second and 17, is it even worth it to like show a fake to your running like that? You know, I think we're going to learn a lot more about the Titans in week two than we did in uh, in week one. All right, let's keep it rumbling. Close out this four o'clock window with the Dallas Cowboys and the L.A. Chargers. Boy, oh boy, get everyone in the boat and let's roll to a monstrous total of 55 in this game chargers though three and a half point favorites hayden we've seen some different usage here the the keys are in justin herbert's hands for the chargers offense what we have seen is austin eckler go from a player who was previously just a passing down back to now being trusted inside the 20 inside the 10 yard line and we've also seen a change in mike williams in a contract here there were six teams that were top 12 in neutral pass rate and neutral offensive pace. Both of them are in this game. The The Chargers offense looks really good. I know that a lot of this was third down throws, but Justin Herbert just was so sick of making like just incredible throws to the sideline downfield. But like you said, the, the real big takeaway here was Mike Williams was not being targeted only on deep, deep downfield passes. This was a player that was getting designed stuff on slants. There was some stuff like near the line of scrimmage. Obviously, you're still going to get these insane red zone looks from Mike Williams and some of these toe-touching uh, plays where he's just making a huge grab. But Mike Williams, if he's going to get the intermediate and underneath stuff, that's how you go from wide receiver, what, 48 in best ball to ranking him literally inside like the top 20-ish player. So I think that this was an awesome 
uh, week for Mike Williams. And obviously, we don't even have to talk about the Cowboys defense. We already know it's like just a, a cake, cupcake matchup. Well, it could have been even better for Mike Williams, too, because he dropped one of his patented extended contested yes. catch touchdowns. Like, it was right there. He sealed the game with his third down catch. He was totally covered, two minutes left in the fourth, and he comes down with it. Like, that is – that's a nice counter for what they have in Keenan Allen over the middle of the field who creates slivers of separation and boom. And having a quarterback like Justin Herbert who's, like, willing – to rifle the ball in there and allow your playmakers to make them, love it. Now, we do need to talk about Austin Eckler because, again, this is a player who has caught a lot of passes in his history, didn't have a single target in week one. Hayden, will we trade that receiving usage? Because as Eric Stoner in the chat pointed out in my text messages, maybe Justin Herbert like just isn't a check down quarterback, you know, because he has this arm that he can make all these downfield throws and they have speed and they have size. And so when we trade those for this, Austin Hooker had seven runs inside the red zone in week one that was most in the NFL. We finally have red zone Austin Eckler in our hands. Yep. It was the seventh time in his career where he had two inside the five opportunities. And that's just like the Alvin Kamara role. And that's what we were hoping with uh, Joe Lombardi. I will say, I, I didn't think that Austin Eckler looked like, like his normal self. I thought he looked pretty slow and mm. pretty hesitant on tape. I do think that was just because of his hamstring injury. So I think that's like actually a bullish case for Austin Eckler that if he has the goal line role and he was only playing 54% of the snaps because of his hamstring, that there's only room to go up. And I do think that Justin Herbert in a, in a fast pace and pass heavy offense could keep Keenan Allen top 12 conversation, Mike Williams in the top 30 conversation and Austin Eckler in the top 10 running back conversation. I think that this offense has that type of uh, play volume and point total projection for, for the season. On the Cowboys offensive side, you are starting Dak Prescott. You are starting Amari Cooper. You are starting CD lamb. We get the questions now, Hayden, do you start Ezekiel Elliott in a game that probably chasing points or are you starting and Cedric Wilson, who's going to be operating as the wide receiver three. Thank you, Kevin Moore for actually coming out and like telling us who's going to be in that role. Yeah, Cedric Moore is going to be in the slot. Uh, at least that's what he did last week, and he's going to be out there. So I think that if you're in a really deep league, sure, why not? If you're in a DFS contest, I get it. I mean, the Zeke conversation is like I'm so over talking about it. Like he's better than Tony Pollard because he can do more things. He's not as explosive as Tony Pollard, but Tony Pollard can't do the things that Zeke Elliott does. Right. And in my opinion, I thought that Zeke looked more explosive last week because he slimmed down. I thought that he looked just fine, and it's just the freaking Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Chargers are not the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on defense. So this is going to be a week where we're just going to forget about week one. And yeah. we're just going to keep noting every single time the Bucks defense, you're benching that, that running back like that this week, it's Mike Davis. It'll be somebody else the next week. And I think that Zeke's going to be a top five, top six guy for the rest of the season. I'm not, I'm not that concerned. Yeah. It was a total buzzsaw and a spotlight game to launch the season for Ezekiel Elliott and Hayden. While everyone keeps propping up Amari Cooper and CD lamb, those plays wouldn't have been possible down the field without Ezekiel Elliott being in the backfield because he was the one picking up all those extra rushers and keeping like just giving Dak an extra millisecond to throw those passes. Yep. Uh, that's a pivotal role. That's a pivotal. Yes. Role. And it, this is like classic sample size in a yes. uh, primetime game where Zeke Elliott should have made that, that corner miss on the end where Blake Jarwin completely whiffed that block and one-on-one Zeke needs a score there. He gets paid way too much money getting, drafted way too high in fancy drafts but that's one play guys like let's relax like the next time he'll probably break that tackle and score so um, i thought like his entire game was much better than what everybody else was saying and i want to see brandon staley 
call this defense that again has great pieces and Joey Bosa and Derwin James played incredibly yep. in week one in a tight scoring game that should have a lot of points in it, you know, because Brandon said what he did great because Wade Phillips is a great defensive coordinator with the Rams, but he wasn't able to turn those individuals into like an awesome number one defense. Staley did that. Can yep. Staley now do that little lesser talent with the chargers, but still some great individual pieces. As yeah, well. I mean they they completely wrecked uh, Washington. I mean it was a, a, a unhealthy Washington, but they they really collapsed them. All right, let's close it out with the prime time games. First, we start off in Sunday Night Football. The Kansas City Chiefs right now are three and a half point favorites. At least when I started writing my preview, uh, fifty five total against those Baltimore Ravens. I say three and a half right now, Hayden, because it sounds like Ronnie Stanley is likely to miss this game. We know how many injuries the Ravens have faced week in and week out during the preseason. Excuse my French. The Ravens are fucked. Yes. They are in such a bad spot right now. And it's only going South. Like we talked a lot during quarterback ranking shows and during fantasy draft season of man, that 2019 Ravens team, they were so dominant, a force to be reckoned with. But they ran so hot looking back on it. And it wasn't, you know, Willie Sneed running hot or Miles Boykin or like Mark Andrews running hot. It was the offensive line health, Hayden. Like Marshall Yonda played over a thousand snaps, Ronnie Stanley over a thousand snaps, Bradley Bozeman and, and Orlando Brown over 1,200 snaps. Cohesive offensive line talents and groups help you win when you get to November and December and January. And then when they get injured, Especially in week one, it derails your season, especially when you focus so much on them like the Ravens need to. And, they're, yeah, their left guard is just towards ACL, too. So it's not just just their left tackle situation, the right tackle situation. All of a sudden, now it's their guard play, too. And this is an offense, obviously, that they run the ball. And it's not just Lamar Jackson scrambling, which are, which is awesome. But a lot of it is design stuff where they're pulling people. like They need continuity. Yeah. So I'm officially spooked by the Ravens, not just like this week, but for like – the foreseeable future. I'm very concerned that we're not going to get the peak Ravens. And just to make matters worth, uh, Marquise Brown didn't practice um, the last two days either. So I don't understand why the chiefs are only um, three and a half point favorites. I think that is a great bet. Um, And I think that they're just going to go nuclear and the defense has hurt for the Ravens too. I mean, they lost two corners now Um, their, their, their cornerback three is also out. So like, this is just, a team that's like really going through it, unfortunately. And it forces Lamar Jackson to try to play hero ball. And he can do that in spurts. Like he did that in the first half against the Raiders. But then when you continue to not run hot and everything doesn't work, you know, inside the flow and the structure of the offense, that's when those fumbles happen. Right. And and it's going to be, and unless something happens, it's going to be closer to like where Lamar finished last year. And while we love rushing quarterbacks, and while that gives us points and we love how you know electric of a playmaker Lamar Jackson can be if we look in the totality of last season he was the quarterback 10 overall in fantasy football you know yeah like it's um that's fine if you draft him like quarterback 17 but you didn't you draft him as the quarterback 4 or 3 in fantasy football this season would you rather have Dak Prescott or Lamar rest of the season for fantasy Dak Dak what about oh, like Tom easy. Tom Brady Tom Brady I'd Justin rather Herbert. have Matthew Stafford over Lamar Jackson. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that, yeah, I think that I, I'm getting to the point where I'm, I'm extremely concerned about the Ravens. They're still so good. Like an organization top to bound top down is like still such like, there's just so much uh, cohesion 
And I think that they will battle out some victories here, but I don't think that they're like on the same tier right. as the Browns, for example, in their own division. Maybe the only savior is like Rashad Bateman when he comes back, but that's putting so much on the shoulders of someone that's dealing with the lower body yeah. injury. And like that's the passing game. And it's not even the offensive line. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. Uh, okay. And the chiefs Tyreek Hill is the best wide receiver in the NFL not just a vertical playmaker. He either takes the top off of a defense and gets a 70-yard touchdown immediately, or that offensive line now gives Patrick Mahomes three seconds to throw, and he's a jitterbug and creates separation. We know Travis Kelsey's running whatever route he wants there out there, and then he has the right to get open. I think the only question here, Hayden, is CEH, and where are we at right now? Because he got all the running back usage. He got, I think, 17 touches in week one in a game that it was high scoring. We can't ask for anything more than that. And Hayden, I think he put together like 70 total yards. Yeah. And that's it. So like on paper, it's what we want in terms of volume and in terms of the team and in terms of the scoreboard, but the results just weren't there. And that's, that's concerning. This doesn't mean that he can be a top 10 fantasy running back, but I think I'm at the point where Clyde Edwards Hilaire is just like not a first round type of player. Like, there's just no explosiveness, man. Like he can make some guys miss. And he, I think that he is physical enough to be an asset near the goal line. But like, this is not like a like difference making running back in my opinion. So like, obviously when you're getting 70 plus percent of the snaps in this offense, I think you can still back back door into top 10 fantasy production. But like, I think I'm over like the days of him turning into a really high level player. I think that he's going to be pretty average, um, at this point, what we need is those three receptions to turn on like seven or eight receptions per week. And like, hopefully one of them is sprung for a big play, but, uh, yeah. I, I don't see a real path to that right now. Okay. Let's close it out. Monday night football, Detroit lions, green Bay Packers, Packers at home, 11 point favorites, 48 total. Uh, we talked about this on our Tuesday show, go back and watch that one of the Lions' backfield. Um, it was the exact pure situation that you hope for if you drafted DeAndre Swift, who missed practice. If you drafted Jamal Williams as well, negative game script, severely. Uh, lots of prevent, deep zone coverage, allowing short receptions for those players. I can't bank on that week to week, but Hayden, an 11-point line might add up to DeAndre Swift again as a top 20, if not top 10 scoring running back this week again. In full PPR, he's going to be close to the top 12. Assuming he's healthy, it's still really early in the week. We just don't know how to view uh, Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift just with their injury concerns. That's why we have the Sunday show. But I do think like this makes like TJ Hawkinson. To me, I'm going to rank him above George Kittle because of the, the negative game script. There's no Tyrell Williams. I think that Khalif Raymond and Amon Ross St. Brown led the uh, wide receivers in, in routes last week. That's not a good formula, especially if DeAndre Swift – is groins just still acting up. So I think that TJ Hawkinson, like, I don't know how you can't project this guy for 10 targets. Like, and uh, th- that's why I think he's going to backdoor into a pretty, pretty sick season this year. Do you know how many plays the lines ran last week? And it was like 80 or something. Yeah. It was 92. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying. Look, yeah. I understand the formula of, of making DeAndre Swift. Cause we saw it happen last week, a thing, even though it's on an awful team, they're not going to throw, and they're not going to have 92 plays every single week. And Jared Goff isn't going to throw the ball 58 times per game. And they're not going to throw 31 fourth quarter passes 
like they did last week. You know what I'm saying? Like, but it could be 40 passes against the Packers, <laughs> and TJ Hawkins has a 25% target share, and then you get your I 10 targets. It. You know, um, I mean, the, the the Lions wide receiver group is just like beyond pathetic with without Tyrell Williams out there. So it's it's literally they have no choice just to give the ball um, to TJ Hawkins. And on the on the other side of the ball, though. Um, I wasn't that concerned about the Packers. I think this is kind of just like a weird one game start the season. Me too. Um, the the one thing, Jeff Okuda, the uh, Lions cornerback one, he uh, tears his Achilles. He's out for the year. That leaves a uh, the 101st overall pick on the outside against Devontae Adams and then like a, a fourth or fifth round player from like two seasons ago. So this is like just a massive ceiling game, massive bounce back game uh, for Devontae, Devontae Adams. Yeah, I mean, they basically ran 12 plays in that first half until the final two minutes. It just wasn't a game for yeah. the Packers. It just We're going to learn much more about them uh, after after this context. MVS? Yeah, I mean, why not? This, I mean, he had the usage last week. I mean, just the bunch of incomplete air yards. I know that's classic MVS. I get it. But with the Lions cornerback and safety depth, it's just like he for sure could have like an 80-yard touchdown. That's not going to be surprising to me. All right, so... My Benji of the week, Najee Harris, underdog, Panthers to cover the three and a half at home against the Saints. Yours, Hayden? I got Chris Carson, and I got the Eagles covering or beating the 49ers outright at home. Yep. We both had our underdogs last week. Just keep that in mind. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. I am talking to you, Superman. I'm talking to you, Berkey, Zach, MV Flip, Eric, all of you. Ridley, thank you so much for being here. We'll be back here on Sunday morning. Hayden and I jump on at 11 Eastern. The stream goes live though with animal taking phone calls at 10 AM Eastern leading up until kickoff matchups, start sits, all that good stuff with all the information in our pocket. It was an electric stream last Sunday. Hopefully we can match it this weekend. And Hayden, two of my favorite shows, our Sunday evening show right after those four o'clock games end leading up until Sunday night football around 7, 15, 7, 30, instant reactions from a great weekend of games. And then we have our Tuesday show where we combine film and data and give you all the stuff that we can bridge into week three. So be sure to be there. And you can also take us on the podcast feed. Just search for the underdog football show. All right, everyone for Hayden. I am Josh up the villa. Talk to y'all soon, everyone. See ya. (laughs) 